Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host, and I am scared. Today we're talking, as we do once a month, about the CPI figure that came out this morning. And uh, I was going to entitle this podcast Scary, except I think that was already taken. Uh, I think probably a lot of people are calling today's number scary. Uh, let's go into, let's, let's sort of set the stage where we were and what we were looking at before the number came out. The forecasts for today's figure were, uh, from economists, a, a, a consensus of 1.1% on the headline. That's month on month, making the annual 8.8%. Uh, and a consensus of 0.54% on core, which would bring the year-on-year to 5.7%. The interbank market was a little bit higher than that, uh, about a tenth higher, 1.2% on headline and and 8.9% year-on-year. And the, the context in the market was that over the last month or so, there has been a massive correction in the inflation market to the tune of 200 basis points on one-year inflation swaps down so that, and again, going further out the curve, essentially the inflation market was saying that not only will this month be the peak, but very quickly, almost immediately, we're going to have headline and core inflation drop to the Fed's target and sort of stay there. The the amount of confidence that, taken at face value, that the market was showing in the Federal Reserve is is almost hard to believe, given given that the Fed just made a 7% mistake on inflation. It's it's a little bit hard to give them such credibility that they can push it back the right direction, 7%. Um, But... But again, the market was sort of is sort of saying that over the next three months, headline inflation will be up 0.3% combined. Now, on, on headline, that's partly because uh, gasoline prices have come down a fair amount and the futures curve is still backwardated, so it suggests that gasoline prices will continue to fall a little bit. But even if gasoline prices fell quite a bit further and stayed there, it was still a very, very aggressive pricing from the market. Now, it's worth pausing here to remember that markets don't price expectations. They price where risk clears. So if people who were long inflation really wanted to get out and they wanted to get out at any price, then they could they would push the market well beyond where expectations are. But the Fed regards the inflation, the, uh, the break-evens, and the inflation swaps market, the Fed regards those as being indicative of expectations. And weirdly, they also sort of view that as a, a market-based indication of consumer expectations. And there's no reason to think that they are. There's no reason to think that consumers have anything to do with where 10-year break-evens are. But that's the way, you know, the Fed doesn't have a whole lot of tools when it comes to inflation expectations. Survey measures kind of suck. And, you know, if you only have one tool, if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so the Fed likes to look at break-evens 
as indicating inflation expectations. So uh, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, what we should remember, though, is, again, going into this month, median inflation has been steadily accelerating. And one of the things that I've said in recent podcasts and blogs and everywhere else uh, has been that there's, there's, at yet, there's yet no real sign that inflation pressures have peaked. Median inflation is a much steadier measure of these pressures. Inflation breadth is a much better measure of pressures, and neither of those has shown any signs yet that it was peaking. Uh, and so while there are good reasons from base effects to sort of think that we're going to, you know, this is, is likely to be, this month is likely to be the high in headline inflation for a little while, and the high in core inflation, at least for a couple of months, uh, was was a month or two ago, um, it it um there there we still haven't yet seen a a definitive turn in inflation pressures so that's the build up and then we got the print and the print was a, a big miss and on the high side which is astonishing because we've now started you know forecasters have now started to price in these fairly aggressive month on month figures of you know 0. 0.5 0. 0.6% on core and we missed it high um, by a lot. So the headline figure was 1.3% month on month, making uh, headline inflation now stands at 9.1% year over year. Core inflation was 0.71% month on month, 5.9% year on year. Uh, median inflation was 0.73%, 6% year on year. Uh, all of those lots higher than expected. Not good. Uh, core goods declined. Core good inflation was down to 7.2%, but core services rose to 5.5% year on year. That's also not good because core goods, uh, core services are the sticky part. And so the, the less sticky part is coming down, but the sticky part is going up. And so that's not a really good thing. Remember part of the, the argument that was used by a lot of people who thought inflation would come to back down and quickly was that this was all a supply. These are all back up at the ports. And, and as soon as we cleared up the, the log jam at the ports, inflation would plunge right back down to, you know, where it should be. And, and in fact, they told you that prices would fall, not just inflation, but that prices would fall back. None of which had any real basis in, in fact or theory, but that's what we have, have been told. And, and in fact, you know, the ports are starting to clear up. Trucking prices are coming down. And so core goods prices are coming down. But that's, they hadn't been going up because there was a backup at the port. I'll come back to that in a second. What was this overall inflationary push is, is in services. And that's, that should sort of tell you because there's no port for services that this is more than just a supply constraint. Um, rents were up, primary rents, rent to primary residence was up 0.78% month on month, and owner's equivalent rent 0.7% month on month. Those are both highs, uh, recent highs. Um, you know, that, um, that, that, that core figure of 0.71% month on month is the highest this year. It, it, 
it is not the highest we've had since COVID. Uh, remember that back in 2020, uh, 2021, we had some big numbers that were caused by used cars. Remember, we had these crazy used cars figures that came out. And so we had these really high core numbers. But back then, one everyone said, well, this is peak CPI because this is these are one-offs from used cars, and they'll come right back down. Today's 0.7% on core and, and median are worse than those higher numbers that we got at the time because they're much broader. There is no one-off. There is no used cars driving things much, much higher. Uh, food and energy on top of core. Food and energy themselves are up greater than 20% year-on-year. That's the highest we've seen in decades. Um, apparel month-on-month month was up 0.8%. Medical care was 0.7% month-on-month. Uh, part of that was came from uh, medical care insurance. Medical insurance, health insurance in the CPI is sort of a weird bird because it's a it's we don't the BLS does not actually go out and measure insurance policies. They don't go and and survey the the you know, what you pay for health insurance directly. It's a residual, um, and so. The, what it serves in the CPI is it, it's kind of almost like a shock absorber. If um, if uh, the the kind of before the measured inflation of doctor services and and health and hospital services and pharmaceuticals before measured inflation goes up, a lot of times healthcare inflation, uh, health insurance inflation will go up, and vice versa. Just because of its function as a residual, it, it tend it sometimes will catch things faster, um, and and so that's a little bit disturbing. And then other CPI that subcategory was up a half a percent as well. All of these are not good. This is again a very very broad figure. More than seventy percent of the basket is now inflating faster than five percent. Only a month or two ago, I was saying 70% of the basket was inflating faster than four. Now it's faster than five. And get this, almost a quarter of the, of the consumption basket, 23% is inflating faster than, than 10% year on year. 10%, a quarter of everything you buy is inflating faster than 10% year on year. So this is all not good. This is a broad... Uh, broad inflation, it's sticky inflation, it's, it's surprising inflation, median inflation is continuing to go higher, we still haven't seen this, this peak pressure yet, and all of that is not good. Um, in that context, equity markets and bond markets initially sold off, and, uh, <laughs> and as I am saying this now, stocks are all the way back to unchanged. The question that immediately came up as soon as we saw this print, the first question you had to ask was, hey, is the Fed going to tighten 100 basis points this month? Because the consensus now is that they'll go 75 and then they'll start to decelerate. That was the consensus going in. And of course, immediately you knew people would start talking about 100 bips. Uh, Bank of Canada today tightened 100 basis points in a surprise. Um, that's partly to protect the loony, but um, but we we know that is going to be the question: is is will the Fed tighten now 100 basis points? 
when they meet later this month. I, I'm I my view on this is is a little bit. Um, I have to be a little bit careful because, you know, last before the last meeting, it was very clear the Fed was going to go fifty, and then there were some. The word went around to the big players that no, the Fed was really going to go seventy-five, and then the rest of us heard about it after that when it appeared in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, and in fact the Fed went seventy-five, even though they had not given any indication, other than the programmed leaks that that's what they were thinking about, and so we have to be careful that there may be that sort of leak again this time. Should the Fed go hundred? The answer to that is is is. Clearly, no. Um, you know, the Fed is progressively shocking the uh, the economy and sh- shocking the markets with this ever accelerating um, series of hikes, and it's not doing what they thought it should do. Other than the fact that it is bringing down forward inflation expectations, if you think the market, those markets, really do reflect expectations. And, and so if, if the Fed looks at those expectations and they're consistent, they should say, well, we believe inflation expectations, anchored inflation expectations matter. And so we aren't really terribly worried. This stuff takes a while to, to work and the market's telling us it's about to start working. And so if the Fed looks at that, then they shouldn't go 100. Moreover, Let's think about what it is that 100 basis points or 200 or 500 basis points is doing. The, the, the point here is sort of to destroy demand, right? So we'll raise 100 basis points. We'll drive, you know, some businesses will have to close. We'll lay some people off and that'll solve inflation. And that's sort of the, the, the working assumption is that, yeah, unemployment rate is going to go up, but we have to do this to get inflation down. But the problem is that by doing that, you're not just destroying demand, you're destroying supply, right? So you're you're getting people laid off, that destroys demand, but it also destroys supply. And, and so it doesn't really, and this is the reason that Fed tightening, Fed easing, just by interest rates, does not have an effect on inflation. You're going to, what you really need to do is you need to run the script in reverse. The reason that we have this inflation is that we abruptly created all this demand much faster than we created the expansion in supply. How did we do that? Well, we printed a boatload of money and we shipped it off to people. We did Bernanke's helicopter drop exactly as he prescribed. And it worked exactly as he would have suggested it was going to work. You drop money to everybody with no consequences and you have not increased the supply side. And so, gee, surprise, all of a sudden you have what looks like a supply side constraint because you have demand increasing overnight by tens of percent. And all of a sudden there's these, there are these shortages and you have inflation. So if you really want to get inflation down, you would have to run the helicopter drop in reverse. You'd have to have a helicopter suck. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And you can't pull the money back from people the same way that you sent it. Well, you probably could, but let's hope that they're not really thinking about tapping our bank accounts and pulling money out. So so that ship has sort of already sailed. If 
the Fed wanted to pull back on liquidity, then, then they could start aggressively shrinking the balance sheet. Unfortunately, they're nowhere close to any level that that, that would have an impact. And so all the Fed is doing, and I've mentioned this before, this is an experiment. We've never tried to restrain inflation by interest rates alone. We've always before restrained reserves. The Fed is, is not pulling back on the actual amount of money in circulation. And, and the problem is then that inflation is going to go where inflation is going to go. Until the price level gets to be consistent with where the prior helicopter drop of money indicates it should be, prices are going to keep going up. And then if we can get money growth to be flat, and, and it has recently in the last couple of months, it has been, been flat, so that's good, then eventually inflation will slow and sort of converge on, the current, on, on that price level. Um, we're not there yet. We haven't yet seen signs of that, but that's what needs to happen. And none of that has anything to do with tightening 75 basis points or 100 basis points. It has to do with what you would do on the reserve side of the equation. And the Fed isn't even trying to do anything um, aggressive with reserves. We're sort of gently reducing the, uh, the balance sheet. And there's just so many excess reserves in the system right now that that just does not have any real impact on a bank's ability to go and lend and thereby create more money in circulation. So will the Fed tighten 100 basis points? I have no idea. Um, I'm, I have to confess that I have been wrong about how aggressive the Fed would be. Um, we haven't yet seen unemployment, the unemployment rate go up. We haven't yet seen the stock market get sloppy on the downside, so they haven't truly been tested. But I really thought that they would stop much sooner than they have and that they would not be this aggressive. So I've been wrong on that. So maybe they'll go 100. Maybe they'll go 200. Who knows? I know that it's not going to have the impact that they want it to have. And again, the market pricing right now, and here's sort of, again, this whole thing is not good. There's nothing good about this. And one of the things which is, which is good uh, for, for us is that markets are currently pricing as if the Fed has already won and that inflation is going to very, very quickly drop back to be uh, the Fed's target and, and everything can go back to normal. Um, that has almost no chance of happening, but as a consequence of that, there are now market pricing for short-dated tips, medium-term tips, are much more reasonable, much more reasonable than they were just a month ago. Uh, things like gold, which have declined, and I am not a gold fan. I haven't been a gold fan for more than a decade because of the price level. The, the inflation-adjusted price of gold has come down quite a bit, and real interest rates have gone up quite a bit, and so things like gold are starting to look more attractive. So we are now finally starting to get at least in the inflation markets, some halfway attractive-looking pricing of some of these things. And there are some, some parts of the market that are looking just egregious, as I've said. So I guess that's the good news. Um, the good news is that, is that markets are, are overshooting um, and creating opportunities for anybody who doesn't think we're about to enter into a deflationary spiral. 
I really don't think we're going to enter into a deflationary spiral. But you know what? I'll revisit that when and if inflation pressures peak and we're not there yet. That's all for today's podcast. I'm sorry if that sounded a bit more like a rant. Um, I, I, I try to be positive about the, these things, but the, this, the number today was just not good on so many levels. It's, it's, it was scary. It's sad. Um, and, uh, but at least the market is now giving us some opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. You can contact me at inflation uh, underscore guy uh, at Twitter. Um, you can write to me, inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. My blog is mikeashton.wordpress.com. We have the Inflation Guy mobile app. You, of course, should visit Enduring Investments and find out what we do, or if you have any interest in, in uh, learning what it is that we offer um, people who are afraid about inflation and want to do something to protect themselves, or two defend your money because if inflation is coming for you remember you know a guy